Welcome to the weekly sermon by Generations Church. We hope you enjoy this message from our special speaker. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. Can we pray this morning? Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, how we love you. How we love you. Lord, we draw on you this morning. We draw on your spirit. We draw on your anointing because your anointing breaks the yoke of bondage. Your anointing sets the captives free. Lord, our mission today is to become more like you. So thank you for having your way today within us, within our hearts. In Jesus' name we said, Amen. Good morning, how are you today? Yeah. Ivy, you just keep worshiping. You don't, you just keep, you keep standing. You do it. Um, good morning. I'm so thankful to have the opportunity to get to speak to you this morning. I'm going to start with a story. When I was a little girl of about four or five years old with long red hair past my waist and too many freckles to count, uh, I was standing in the praise and worship service of our small uh, charismatic church. And back in, back in the day, all the kids and the grown-ups were together at the same time. And I was uh, standing beside my mom. We were worshiping the Lord. And I remember just singing the song with all my heart. And my eyes were closed and my hands were lifted up. And all of a sudden, I felt the sweetest embrace all around me. And I opened my eyes expecting my mother's arms to be wrapped around me, but my mom was standing to my left, her eyes were closed toward heaven, and her hands were raised. And so I tugged on her dress, and she leaned over, and I told her, Jesus hugged me. And I remember she smiled at me. But here's the deal. Jesus hugged me. I knew it that day, and I know it now. I know it now. Jesus hugged me. The Spirit of the Lord and I had such a tangible encounter that day that I felt him. I felt him. And I've never forgotten that moment. Never forgotten that moment. Now, thousands of days have passed since Jesus hugged me when I felt it. And I've had many days where I felt the presence of the Lord. I felt his presence. I've also had days where I felt nothing nothing. Or worse, I've had days where I felt distant from the presence of God. Like he had better things to do. Or like um, I had displeased him, so he withdrew from me. Or days we knew we loved each other, but we just didn't really talk that day. Um, Or days I was the one that was too busy or too preoccupied to notice his presence around me. Some days I feel close to God and some days I don't. Now I'm using the word feel on purpose. I trust that he's never far, right? I trust that he's always with me. I trust that he never leaves me or forsakes me. I trust that he's here and he always loves me, but I don't always feel that way. Let's talk about our feelings. (laughs) Mr. Rogers said feelings are mentionable, 
and manageable. So let's be honest with our feelings this morning. Have you ever felt distant from God? Have you ever felt far from his gaze? Have you ever felt abandoned or forgotten? Have you ever felt like if he has a list of favorites, I'm number four billion and 27? <laughs> or maybe some of you are like, that's too high. That's too high on the list. I feel lower. Have you ever felt like God wouldn't come near you because you did something wrong? Have you ever felt like you thought you heard him, but then you followed through and you missed the mark and the rug was swept completely out from under your feet? Have you ever felt lonely? Have you ever felt frustrated? Have you ever felt empty? Have you ever wrestled with where you feel like you are and where you wish you were in your walk with Christ? Anybody ever wrestled? Ever wrestled with that? Melissa, it's not about your feelings. You don't need to feel him. You just need to believe him. It's called faith. Okay, sure. But let me ask you a question, okay? Would you rather be on vacation with your best friend or imagine you're on vacation with your best friend? <laughs> I would rather be on vacation with my best friend. And you know what? Jesus calls us his friend. John 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you, say it, for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Yes, I can faith that I'm his friend, but guess what? I want to feel like I'm his friend. Isn't it possible to more than faith something, but to experience something? To feel different because of his presence, to be daily transformed by my relationship with him? I want to feel like his best friend, don't you? Don't you? Now, what does being the best friend of Jesus even look like? What does that look like? Well, guess what? We can look at scripture and learn so much about Jesus and our relationship with him by exploring his relationship with other people. It's really fascinating. And today, so exciting. Today, we're going to dive in to one of the best friendships Jesus had with anyone we can find in Scripture. <laughs> You're thinking of people right now in your head. One of the best friends he had that we can tell in Scripture. <gasps> Mary of Bethany. When I say Mary, you say Bethany. Mary. Bethany. Mary. We'll edit that out later. Don't worry about that. We'll edit that out. Now, Mary of Bethany. The first question that pops into your head might be, which Mary was she again? And that's an honest question because there's a lot of Marys in Scripture. There's a lot of Mary. There's Mary, the mother of Jesus, right, who said yes to God without hesitation. There is Mary Magdalene, who was the first witness to the resurrection, 
the first person commissioned to share the good news. There's Mary of Clopas. She was the first Mary you thought about. No, Mary of Clopas. She was present at the crucifixion. I, I don't know her, but she's another Mary. Mary of Bethany, Mary of Bethany. Oh, yes, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, Mary of Bethany. Here's her story in a nutshell. Jesus is coming into town. He's going to be a guest at the home of Mary and Martha. And they're super excited and super busy making the preparations for the house and the company and cooking and cleaning because Jesus don't come alone. He brings his posse with him. And there is a lot of people coming over. And Mary and Martha are in a groove and they are checking things off their to-do list right and left and they are getting it done until the moment Jesus walks in that door and Mary is out of there. She is out of there and she is sitting next to Jesus listening to him teach. Martha still with 47 things to do on her list, anxiously walks into the room and tells Jesus to tell Mary to get back into the kitchen and help her. And Jesus gently rebukes Martha and says that Mary has actually made the better choice. The moral of the story, be like Mary and choose Jesus over the distractions of this world. Good night, everyone. It's been great. <laughs> good night. Um, that's a good message. It's been done to death, in my opinion. Let's dig deeper into this story. This is in Luke chapter 10. While Jesus and his disciples were traveling, Jesus entered a village where a woman named Martha welcomed him as a guest. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his message. By contrast, Martha was preoccupied with getting everything ready for their meal. So Martha came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to prepare the table all by myself? Tell her to help me. It looks like Jesus will be mediating some sibling rivalry, but what actually unfolds here is far more profound and is far more far-reaching, okay? Allow me to give you some historical background. Little historical background commercial break. Ready? At the time of Jesus, Jewish men and religious leaders were shaped not only by the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, but by the Mishnah. Mishnah were the oral traditions, the doctrines, the commentaries of rabbis over centuries. They would pour over the text and then they would write their commentaries on it. And this became known as the oral Torah. So there was the Torah and then everything a rabbi would learn and say and speak about that was the oral Torah. And that's what Mishnahs were. Now these Mishnahs were often not kind to women. Labeling females as weak, dishonest, unfaithful, and foolish. And these Mishnahs, these ideas, shaped the way that Jewish society functioned at the time. 
So women were basically, at the time of Jesus, second-class citizens, often segregated from men in public and religious settings. Girls were betrothed at a young age, went from the household of their fathers to the household of their husbands. Women were segregated from men in the temple. They were not allowed to participate in public prayer because one Mishnah stated that a woman's voice was indecent and should not be heard by men in public lest they be tempted. <laughs> Rabbis only taught male pupils. Most females were not taught Torah. Women were often illiterate due to lack of education. Women were not allowed to testify in court because they couldn't be trusted. A woman could not divorce a man for any reason. But Mishnah taught a man could divorce his wife for virtually any reason, including burning the dinner. <laughs> to top it off, to top it off, the traditional morning prayer of all Jewish men, the morning blessing, included the phrase, Thank God you have not made me a woman. So the best a woman could do at Jesus' time in this culture was fulfill domestic and familial obligation to gain some kind of semblance of respect in her community. Now the village of Bethany is two miles from Jerusalem. So this is the cultural and religious context of Mary's life. This is what she knows. This is what she's been taught. Until a rabbi named Jesus enters her life. He doesn't disregard her desire to learn. He teaches in the outer courts of the temple where there's no segregation so that both the men and the women can hear him speak. He travels and befriends his followers. He spoke the words of Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Mary is no stranger to oppression. Now, to sit at a teacher's feet was the exclusive posture of their disciple, and all disciples were male. So as Mary sees Jesus entering their living room to teach, she doesn't simply make a choice to sit at his feet and learn. She makes a decision that rabbinical Judaism says she is not allowed to make. This is an act of defiance. Now her hardworking sister walks in the room and says what everybody in the room is thinking. They're like, oh, she shouldn't be sitting there. Now will this rabbi, Jesus, uphold Jewish tradition? Will he remind Mary that she can be a follower, but she can't be a disciple? Because 
she's not allowed to sit at his feet because that place is reserved only for men? I'm sure Mary held her breath as Jesus replied to her sister, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the better part. At that moment, I think Mary has all the feels. I think she has all of them. She feels acceptance. She feels validation. She feels freedom. You know what else? She feels like a disciple because she is a disciple. This brings me to the seven words of Scripture that changed my life. They ignite my spirit each time I read them. And here's a disclaimer. I'm so overwhelmed by the power and the love of the words of Jesus. Nearly every time I read this, it makes me cry. It's just an FYI. I may or may not cry today. Mary has chosen the better part. It won't be taken away from her. I told you. (laughs) Mary chooses to be more than a follower. She chooses to be a disciple of Jesus. She defies convention, and then Jesus defies convention right back. He makes room for Mary. Her place at his feet, her role as a disciple of Jesus Christ would not be taken away from her. You know what happens with these words? Jesus subverts that culture. He crushes stereotypes and he discredits those misogynistic mishnas. Now, please do not limit the scope of Jesus' response here. Don't make the mistake of thinking this is the moment Jesus dismantled the unjust patriarchy and liberated Jewish women because this is the moment that Jesus liberates all of humanity. Paul explains this liberation in Galatians 3. He says, Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Mary represents every individual ever rejected, disregarded, or persecuted. She represents the Gentile, the slave, and the female. And through his validation of Mary, Jesus rejects every kind of prejudice, and he counters the oppression of this world with the freedom of the kingdom of God, where 
every man, every woman of every nation has equal access to Jesus. Equal access. It doesn't matter your gender, your skin tone, your accent, your socioeconomic status, your education. Kingdom rights do not discriminate. Kingdom rights do not discriminate. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is the freedom of the gospel. You have equal access to Jesus, and you have a place at his feet. There's a U-shaped spot right next to him. And it won't be taken away from you. These seven words of Jesus reveal a facet of his agape love to me that is both overwhelming and requires something of you and me. It requires something. And I need you to receive this today. You are not less than someone else. No one can take your place in Christ. You belong. He's made room for you. On the flip side, you are not worth more than anybody else. You must not withhold or deny someone's place in Christ because if you do, you are guilty of obstruction of justice. That sounded a little harsh. Hold on a second. Guilty of obstruction of justice. I stand by it. I stand by it. We don't get to judge whether we or anyone else deserves it. All of humanity is welcome and equal in value at the feet of Jesus. And in that place, we discover our true identity, which is children of God, and our true purpose, which is discipleship. Okay, keep in mind, the reason we're looking at the relationship between Jesus and Mary is to help strengthen our own relationship with Jesus. How can we feel his presence? How can we feel like his best friend? And I want this to take root in you, so I'm going to sum up Mary's friendship with Jesus in this short soundbite. You ready? You ready? This is their relationship. This is how she sees Jesus. Closer is better. Mary could have stayed in her place in the kitchen. She could have worked as quietly as she could. She's flipping pancakes. She could have worked as quietly as she could. She could have strained from the other room to hear Jesus. She could have been content to be a follower. And being close would have been good, but she knew closer to Jesus is better. Are you a follower who knows about him? Or are you a disciple who knows him? You have a place at his feet that's waiting for you each and every day. You didn't earn it. It's a gift. It's a gift to you. Now, like any gift, you don't have to receive it. You could dismiss it, neglect it, disregard it. 
but it won't be taken away from you. God has always desired closeness with us. He walked with Adam and Eve. He talked with them in the garden. And after sin separated humanity from God, he came to earth as a human to show us how to be close with him again. Emmanuel, God with us. And then Jesus doubles down on this whole closeness thing. And he tells us, even though he's leaving to prepare a place for us, we're not alone. He said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper who will be with you forever. The helper is the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it doesn't see him or know him. You know him because he lives with you and will be in you. How close is the Holy Spirit of God? The Spirit makes his dwelling place you. Not a temple, not a cathedral, not a church, you. Because for God, closer is better. The closeness that Mary experienced at the feet of Jesus transformed her identity from one of those female followers to a true disciple. Mary of Bethany, disciple of Jesus Christ. Now this is not the end of Mary's story. She is central to another revolutionary act recorded in scripture. The anointing of Jesus at Bethany. In John chapter 12, verse one, six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, home of Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Lazarus and his sisters hosted a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who joined him at the table. Then Mary took an extraordinary amount, almost three quarters of a pound of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She anointed Jesus' feet with it, then wiped his feet dry with her hair. The house was filled with the aroma of the perfume. Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, the one who was about to betray him, complained. This perfume was worth a year's wages. Why wasn't it sold and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, he carried the money bag and would take what was in it. Then Jesus said, leave her alone. This perfume was to be used in preparation for my burial, and this is how she has used it. You will always have the poor among you, but you won't always have me. Because Mary was always as close as she could get to Jesus, Mary heard his teachings. She also heard him foretell his death at the hands of enemies. She knew he would die soon. The gravity of the events about to take place were misunderstood by the others around Jesus, but Mary had grasped the harrowing meaning of his words. I love the way one commentator described Mary of Bethany. He said she was the best listener Jesus ever had. And here's the proof. She seizes what is likely the last opportunity that she will ever get to worship her Lord. And she pours the priceless oil 
over him. His head and his feet to show her love, to show her appreciation, to show her her devotion. She knew the sacrifice was coming. And no one else in the room gets it but her and Jesus. The honor of anointing the Savior of the world for his death and burial wasn't given to the high priest of the temple. It wasn't even given to one of the 12 disciples. It was given to Mary of Bethany, the disciple who sat close and listened. Here's an additional detail told in Matthew 26. Jesus said, She's done a good thing for me. You always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me. By pouring this perfume over my body, she's prepared me to be buried. I tell you the truth, that wherever in the whole world this good news is announced, what she's done will also be told in memory of her. She took her place as his disciple, and it sealed her destiny. I love the friendship of Jesus and Mary. I love it. Here's another example of their relationship that reveals how close they were. Uh, In the story of Lazarus in the Gospel of John, when Jesus comes back to town after Lazarus has been dead four days, he arrives knowing he will raise Lazarus from the dead. Yet even though this miracle is about to occur, when he sees Mary crying, he starts crying. What tenderness. What compassion. What a friend we have in Jesus. Mary, through her actions, teaches us that when it comes to Jesus, closer is better. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian 50 years or today is your first day. All of us can come closer to Jesus if we choose to. Are you a follower or are you a disciple? The late Bible scholar Herbert Lockyer said this about Mary of Bethany. Mary, more than any other individual in the New Testament, was associated with his feet, betokening her humility, reverence, and hunger for spiritual knowledge. She sat at his feet as a disciple, eager to learn of his will and word, fell at his feet in worship and grief, anointed his feet with precious ointment, and wiped his feet with her long, lovely hair. Closer is better. I don't want distance between me and Jesus. I want to eliminate any feeling of space between us. I know the Spirit of the Lord is here, not coming here within us. So since his spirit is alive within us, how do we position our spirit and our focus and our attention and our devotion to get as close to him as we can get? How do we feel 
the closeness of our Savior. When Mary listened at his feet, she worshipped him. And when she poured the oil, she worshipped him. Worship, in simplest terms, is our surrendered response to God. And when I worship the Lord, it's as close to actually sitting at his feet as I can get. And at his feet, there is mercy. And at his feet, there is freedom. And at his feet, there is strength. And at his feet, there is revelation. And at his feet, there is peace. Would you close your eyes for a moment? Everyone close your eyes. Imagine you are the only person in the sanctuary right now. There's no one to your right or left. The room is empty except for you. Now Jesus enters the room. He walks to the front. He sits at the altar. He turns toward you, his eyes gently fixed on you. What will you do? He doesn't just want you to be in the same room with him. He wants you closer. He doesn't just want you to think about him. He wants you to encounter him. He doesn't just want you to read scripture. He wants to reveal himself to you through his living word. He doesn't just want you to pray to him. He wants you to have a conversation with him. His spirit is speaking to you, and he wants you to listen. The closer we get to him, the more we become like him. He wants you to bring the power and the freedom of the kingdom of heaven into every place you walk and every conversation you have. Open your eyes. Jesus has a place for you that won't be taken away from you. He is waiting to reveal more of himself and his kingdom to you each and every day. More peace every day, more revelation every day, more closeness every single day. He had that kind of relationship with Mary of Bethany, sister of Martha and Lazarus, yes, but also bold and humble disciple who was likely the best listener Jesus ever had because she knew closer is better. Would you bow your heads in prayer? Gracious Lord, may we draw closer to you. May we daily take our place at your feet where we can see you, 
hear you, know you, and feel you moving in our lives. Thank you for calling us friends and helping us become disciples who reflect your heart and obey your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If our prayer partners would come forward, if you have any prayer needs in your life, don't hesitate to come up. These lovely people will agree with you in faith. Now, your homework for this week is get closer to Jesus. Be the best listener that Jesus has. Get quiet before him. Worship him. Study the scripture to know him. Don't, don't read scripture to read scripture. Read scripture to know Jesus. Another thing you can do is attend a home life. Because at these weekly small groups, you can get deeper into the conversation with other people about getting closer to Jesus. Now next week, please join us on Mother's Day. We're going to continue to learn more about our own relationship with Jesus through another one of his dear, dear friends, Martha. Have a wonderful week. Thank you for listening. Be sure to visit gchurch.net for more information about this podcast and other resources.